Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy to assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this very special edition of Behind the Lines. I'm Lenore Taylor, editor of Guardian Australia, and today we're going behind the very first ever line. We're actually going to tell you the story of the start of Guardian Australia. We're doing this because it's our fifth birthday. We've been here for five years. And recently when our our global editor, Catherine Viner, was in Australia, I sat down with her and Ian McClelland, our first managing director, who recently also departed for London. And the three of us started to reminisce about the very beginning of those five crazy difficult, insanely difficult, and also incredibly rewarding years. The story all started with a conversation that Kath had with the then global editor-in-chief of Guardian, Alan Rusbridger, at the Edinburgh Festival in August 2012. Yeah, so it was in the summer. I remember it was in August. I was at the Edinburgh Festival and Alan asked me for a coffee and mentioned Australia. And I was shocked. I'd never, you know, there were no rumours about this idea. Um, And he said, I just, let's look into it. And by the time I went on what was called a recce, I think, which I think was November, by then we was really pretty well developed. So although although we called this uh, two and a half week trip in in, uh, November a recce, actually, I think we were pretty far down the line by then. And what I was doing was just meeting potential senior journalists who could work with us and yeah one of the big things I wanted to do was um, I thought you know if you're going to if we're going to do it in a really meaningful way you really need a strong political team as well to show that you're serious about a country you have to, I think you have to show you're serious about their politics and we really felt there was this gap in the Australian market around particular kinds of reporting particular way of reporting politics so not the kind of who's up who's down but actual policy and something meaningful around the environment around asylum around indigenous affairs we've all these kind of gaps so they, I was looking for people who shared that understanding I think we also felt there was a sort of digital gap we felt that we had a kind of digital innovation that at the time we felt was lacking in in Australian media So, as I said, I wanted to get some big political hires and um, we'd I'd already been in touch with Lenore Taylor and Catherine Murphy uh, to talk to them about possibly joining The Guardian and uh, went to Canberra to meet them. Yeah. And for me, the the idea of joining The Guardian was enticing and also kind of terrifying because I was at that point the chief political correspondent at Fairfax it was the job I always wanted to have. It was really comfortable. 
you know, I had no real reason on the face of it to want to leave that job, except that for two things. One, I didn't think Fairfax's digital strategy was very good, and obviously the website was the future. And two, I banged on like everybody else my whole career about the lack of diversity of voices in the Australian media, and here was a chance to make a new one, like to help create a new one, Some, and not just any old new one, but The Guardian in Australia. So my first thing I wanted to ask Kath when we met was to make sure that this would be Australians telling Australian stories for an Australian audience, that it was actually Guardian Australia, not a sort of foreign outpost of a UK publication. Um, but our first meeting was kind of hilarious because Murph and I were quite, um, you know, this was a big moment. You know, it was kind of jumping off a cliff a bit. We didn't know how this was going to work out. We hadn't ever met Kath. So we arranged to meet her in a pub in Canberra and then go on to dinner. And we thought we'd chosen quite an out-of-the-way pub, like somewhere where everybody from Parliament wouldn't be. Um, (laughs) And we were sitting there kind of... Does that exist in Canberra? (laughs) (laughs) Kind of. So we're sitting... Well, actually, this story will suggest no. We were sitting there kind of comparing notes and talking about what we wanted to find out and what we needed to ask. And we'd obviously seen Kat's picture, so we we knew what she looked like. And she walked in, and then directly behind her walked in Julia Gillard, the then Prime Minister's uh, advisor, John McTurnan, who's a Scot and who Kat knew, and they started talking. And we were, like, busted (laughs) (laughs) before we'd even met her. So we used to work for the Labour Party in Britain. Um, So I said, oh, gosh, John McTurnan. He went, oh, Kat Fino. We started having this chat. And then I found out that... (laughs) We were trying to hide behind a pole at that point. Um, So we were busted in the first What was your excuse for being there? Did you... Did you give an excuse for being in Canberra? I think I probably said I was meeting my old friends, Lenore and Catherine, who I loved. (laughs) And, uh, you know, I was just there on holiday. He would have seen uh, through that in about an hour. And what else would you do on holiday (laughs) than go to a weird pub in Canberra and see your old political mates? Um, But I think that point about um, Australian voices, that was a really important part from the start. You know, um, we um, brought some colleagues over from the UK who were going to make it feel like The Guardian. But they were very much um, in the sort of background roles. We wanted the front line, the voices, to be Australian voices. Um, But we wanted to find Australian voices that were also Guardian voices to create this Guardian Australia identity. Um, And we took great care of making sure that it it wasn't that um, foreign outpost coming in, that it felt really Australian. And over time, those backroom um, UK people have gradually been replaced by Australians. Yeah. So there's very few, yeah. um, or hardly any secondees left. No. Like basically now we have, over, over those five years, grown to an organisation employing 80 people and almost all of them are locally engaged Australian people. Over 90% yeah. Australians now. Yeah. 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 So when then I moved over in January uh, 2013, uh, we took out these uh, service officers on Pitt Street. I have to say they were a complete dump. Uh, no offence to anyone listening who shared those officers, but uh, we heard all your conversations. I know you heard all of ours. There wasn't enough Wi-Fi to launch stories. Imagine that. Not enough Wi-Fi to launch stories. Um, but, you know, it was that great thing of starting something from scratch and that great feeling of building something. But they were so shoddy that while I was still trying to sign uh, Lenore and Catherine, um, I made it absolutely it was an essential that they didn't see these officers because I thought they're coming from Fairfax. If they see just how small and rubbish these officers are, then they'll never come. So they'd come up to Sydney and I'd say, let's go out for lunch. And then they'd say, yeah, great. And let's go to the office afterwards. I was go, oh, you know what? Let's go. 
go out for tea as well. And then let's go out for dinner, another drink. Let's. And so I managed it that they never saw those officers until they signed their contracts. And then when I first came to the office, it was a true dump. Like it was horrific. Um, but also on the whiteboard, there was this list of words that the um, that the UK secondies didn't understand. Sort of things like CBD. Who knew that that wasn't a thing? Um, spill, yeah. spill, spill, leadership spill. Lucky they got to know that one because there were several of them in yeah. quick succession. Um, Stoush. Stoush. Lenore's just like, what is? what have I walked into? What have I done? Well, I never <laughs> thought, what have I done? But I don't think I appreciated how hard it would be at the beginning. I yeah. just, you know, Catherine and I um, tried to get a room in the press gallery to work from and nobody would give us a room. Like there were actually empty rooms that people wouldn't give us because we were potential competition. So we ended up, Channel 10 came to the rescue and gave us one desk at the back of their tech office. So there was a very nice man there who did a lot of soldering at the desk beside us. And we were sharing a desk, sort of bottom to bottom, pounding out stories like crazy. The Channel 10 cameramen and women would come in behind us and grab their gear at great pace when anything big happened. It was a completely ridiculous office to work out of. And we were there for ages before we even really got a room. Ages, yeah. ages and ages. Way after we were alive. Yeah. Um, and um, I think actually people really did try and stand in our way a lot. Let's be let's mm. be truthful about yeah. that. I mean, there was it was really not a welcoming uh, atmosphere um, to us. Um, um, and I think it was partly because we were so clearly doing something different and exciting and that readers really responded to right from the beginning. Although some people were supportive. I can remember our Sydney launch event at Carriageworks where Mark Scott, who was then oh, at the ABC, wonderful. gave a really lovely speech. Yes, that was a wonderful event, wasn't it? Yeah. Oh, yeah, lots of people were supportive, yes. There were supportive true. people as well. Our, our Canberra launch event was um, less successful. <laughs> it was um, on the 26th of June 2013, which anybody who is a student of Australian history will know was the uh, night of the Labor leadership challenged by Kevin Wright against Julia Gillard. And that was actually the vote Labor vote was timed for exactly when our Canberra launch event was meant to start. I remember getting on the plane and, and when we got off the plane, that had been announced. So when we what, got on the, the plane... the Sydney to Canberra float? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So it was literally when we were expecting yeah. to host this party inside Parliament House. But when we got off the plane, it was just that was all off and, and the, the, there but was did, now did a But did Malcolm Turnbull come to our party? He did. he did. I had mini pies with him. Him and I Bronwyn Bishop. And about three was, people, there was, there was a, a lot of mini pies to go around. I don't That's know. Right. I didn't go. I was you didn't make it to your own party. I don't think there was anyone from Labor there. As I recall, well, no, they were all yeah, it's all green. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, there were a few green people. That's yeah. yeah, yeah, and the, and the uh, ambassador, uh, British, the whole ambassador's <laughs> team, British ambassador's team was there. That's right. It um, wasn't our most Bishop. successful event. It was probably the worst party um, you could ever do. It had nine people at it. Although we were watching the live coverage, and, and, I, and I was showing them the live blog that we were publishing, yeah. and they were getting quite excited about this brilliant live blog that Catherine Murphy was doing, and yeah. I was like, ah, starting to understand what the Guardian does here that's different. So. So we had to delay the launch by a week. One of the things we wanted to launch with, we had a Julie Gillard interview and we had um, this amazing interactive called Firestorm, which is about uh, the fires in Tasmania, amazing photography, great interactives, but it was so difficult. It was very technical, um, very complicated. And we actually had to delay our launch by a week because of technical problems with Firestorm. So even though it was this great success, it won a Walkley. I sort of can't even bear to look at it ever anymore. But we finally launched um, from now uh, better offices in Reservoir Street in Surrey Hills, which, which 
which I loved. They were small. They were they were cool. They were ours. We yeah. were, we existed. Had the garden great sign on the door. Well. Great, coffee great coffee opposite. Nearby, yeah. Um, and um, yeah, we finally um, launched. And and I got up at four that day. Went on breakfast TV. Uh, we did loads of interviews. I couldn't sleep at all that night. Yeah, I was so nervous. <laughs> yeah, you know, because it was kind of everything staked on this venture. I had I had faith that we could make it work, but. Would people read? Would yeah. it, it was sort of an unknown. And yeah, we'd done the Gillard interview for the launch day, um, where she said lots of interesting policy things and also revealed her deep love of Game of Thrones, I remember. That's right. Oh, yeah. That's right. But I mean Lenore, just for just fun, I mean the, the jeopardy for you, Lenore. I, I do I mean, you know, you had given this up this fantastic job at Fairfax and thrown everything into this tiny little group of people. Um and this faith that there was an audience there that the pe- that people wanted to. I always really read believed Guardian that, journalism that in there Australia. was a guardian-shaped yeah. hole yeah. in the Australian market, and I think that's been proven correct. And I think it's kind of there's still space to grow into that for sure gap in the market. So, so we imagined fifty people in the original plan, twenty-five editorial. In which year? Twenty thirteen. Yeah. No, that no, was at, by the that, end of year. Sorry, five. that was at the end of year five. Yeah. We'd. I'd hoped to grow to tw- to 50 people in total, 25 editorial staff, 25 commercial and operational. And within nine months, that Reservoir Street tenancy was filled and we had no more uh, seats, we had no more desks. And we knew that from the traffic and the revenue and the response that we got from, from the sort of Australian public that it, this is going to be a lot bigger than that. I mean, it went big immediately, it did, didn't, didn't it? it? Yeah. Um, I remember looking at the uh, traffic. We can measure traffic, and uh, as, as in, which means we can measure how many people are reading our stories. And it was just this wonderful day one, um, and we started to say there's something happening here. And then by the end of the week, we were all sort of dead on our feet. But when we suddenly realised that we didn't know how to cover the weekends, we just didn't have enough people to cover the weekends. So I did that for the first few weekends from my flat in Bondi, <laughs> um, and uh, it was. It was just very clear, very quickly, that there was a great appetite for what we were doing. I really had a thing as well that we didn't want to do much about spiders or sharks or... um, All the things that you know, traditionally British people think about Marcy Australia Beals. because yeah. we, were, we had to yeah. be Australians talking to Australian exactly. audience. So exactly. It had exactly. to be written in that way. Yeah, yeah. But there were a few sort of missteps like that. I remember one which was the arts editor, I, I think without much discussion, a live blogged something. It was something like the X Factor final or one of those reality shows. And anyway, she, she live blogged it because that's what we've done in the UK for a decade. And and our Aust- Australian readership, this is two weeks in or something, they were really furious. They were saying, <laughs> you know, we have so much X Factor everywhere. And we much preferred your Policy Interactive, which that was, this- was such an excellent Policy Interactive, <laughs> if I do say so myself. It was, so, it was massive. It, it was, was this unbelievable piece of work. It told us. And it was every single policy, um, every single policy area and every single policy that every party espoused. It was so serious. It was had massive traffic. It had massive engagement time. People spent hours on this incredibly, probably the most serious interactive. That's why we love our readers. (laughs) And they said, give us the policy interactive, not the X Factor. And then we were very clear about what our readers wanted. And you were right. 
months in, we had the um, Edward Snowden story. And obviously, we had a very strong element of that in Australia with this great story about Indonesia, that ASIO had been spying on the president's circle of um, close and Giuliano and, and his on wife. His, on his wife, on their mobile phones. It was a huge story. It was an enormous story. It the it changed the Australian-Indonesia relationship for several months. It caused a lot of blowback. It was a it was sort of our first really really big scoop. Yeah, and it was um, it was sort of electrifying story. Obviously, like any big story involving spies, it ends up being very controversial. And it was a particular thing for me as editor. It was the day after the story had, had gone live and there was a lot of attention on us. There was there was this car parked outside the office and the guys in the coffee shop had said, these guys in the, in the car have got a, a laptop with Kath's picture on it and they'd given us a call because obviously knew them very well. And we were thinking this is sort of secret service and, and, and you know, are we going to get raided and because and of the story. I remember our non-exec director had uh, uh, noticed a van a cleaning van with tinted windows and then he said that that you know quite often used as they could be you know filming us from inside there so there was a heightened sense of sort of paranoia and we got Mike Bowers to come over in, in the end and, and use his telescopic lens he was lying on my floor in my office with his telescopic lens trying to, trying to take pictures and identify these mysterious gentlemen in the car it was a just man turned, and a woman just, I think a man yeah, and a woman yeah, that's right and he yeah. just turned around and said hang on a second and he recognised <laughs> them and it was basically the other photographer from the Australian wasn't it or um, or from a, but Kath wasn't even there. Kath was in Canberra was in because Canberra we were anyway. dealing with That's the story right. yeah, in Canberra, yeah. Yeah. where they staked us out as well, right? Yeah. And then they sent two other photographers uh, to work in shifts and stake out the Canberra office. So they put a two sad people little on Channel the Ten office with the soldering equipment. <laughs> so they managed to put two people outside the office, the Guardian office in Sydney. Two people out the they outside really the Guardian office in Canberra. They really wanted a photo of me, <laughs> but it wasn't a very good one, and they got it. Well, no. <laughs> <laughs> and then, and then the back of the van, op- cleaning van, opened, and it was full of, uh, you know, vacuum cleaners and mops. And stuff. So it was, just a, cleaning it was a cleaning van. van. Well, it was actually a cleaning van. <laughs> yeah, um, but just because you're paranoid doesn't mean they're not out to get you. <laughs> and the exciting thing is that you know when um, Kath launched Guardian Australia, we were focusing a lot on politics and asylum and Indigenous affairs. But now that we've, we're five, almost five years in and um, we're close to financially sustainable and we're um, looking at how we might grow now, we can add lots of areas of expertise. So we're going to really um, do a lot more on uh, Indigenous reporting and on um, government accountability and transparency. So I, the thing I find really exciting is that we can just keep growing those areas where we go really deep and still be able to cover Australian news generally as well. Soon after I became editor, we launched the program to get reader contributions, so to ask our readers to voluntarily contribute to the journalism that we do. And the response was absolutely overwhelming right from the start. And the thing I love about it is because you support us, it means that we can keep our um, journalism open to everyone we don't we haven't put up a paywall we that's haven't right. needed to I put think up without a paywall it, the, yeah, that's right the, you don't need to be able pressure. to afford to read the guardian yeah, to read, to read the, the guardian, guardian. Yeah. that's right yeah, yeah. it's oh. also it's also worth bearing in mind of course that nobody 
makes money out of the Guardian. Every money, yeah. all the money we get is is spent on the journalism. It's ploughed into the journalism. Um, if we're going to break even this the, this year, and if we were to start making money in Australia, it would be ploughed back into Australian journalism, um, and that's a really um, exciting thing. And I think the, the I'm whole, into that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think the whole story of five years of Guardian Australia is such a heartening one um, in terms of. Um, journalism and the role it plays in society and the role it plays in Australian society um, and and it's all about the commitment of our readers the commitment of you um, to what we're doing because that's what made it a success in that first week in May 2013 and now that's what's helping fund it um, five years on and it's um, it's a pretty beautiful story and I think um, in a way it bucks the trends of so much of what people say about the media that it's all doomed it just shows that if you have something that people really value and that really matters is doing something really meaningful then you'll value it And I should make it absolutely clear, it's kind of obvious, but I should make it clear that there were a lot, there are a lot of people involved in making Guardian Australia work. All of the staff here work above and beyond. And I think that's because they're committed to what we're all trying to do together and because we have a clear sense of purpose. So I need to say thank you to them as well. So I'd just like to conclude by thanking all of you who've supported us, who've supported Guardian Australia over these past five years, who've read our stories, who've given us ideas, who've provided us with feedback, who've even in some cases come and visited us. I particularly like to thank the 41,000 of you who've supported us financially. The next five years, I've got to say, for Guardian Australia are looking pretty strong. But if all our regular readers supported us financially, they'd be stronger still. Thanks so much for being there for the Guardian Australia's first five years. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.